Welcome to the Network Collective. We're intent-driven, software-defined, and simple, yet technically deft. Today, we're talking about routing through the soft, fluffy world of cloud computing. So sit back, grab your favorite beverage, and a small stack of cookies, and listen in. Before we get started, I want to take a moment to thank Cumulus Networks for sponsoring today's episode. Cumulus makes the world's most flexible network operating system and has one of the coolest logos in all of technology, the Rocket Turtle. We'll talk more about some of the neat things Cumulus Networks is up to in a minute. But first, let's talk about cloud connectivity. Today we have Miguel Bellariel from Bella Technologies and Scott Wheeler from Asperitas Consulting. So, you two, tell us a little bit about differentiating private, public cloud routing domains in the cloud and how to draw traffic into and out of the cloud in the right places and control your policy, because I think that's where this is probably going ultimately. Correct. Great question. Um, I think this is the, the main crux of what is causing the cloud to be such a nebulous environment because how cloud is cloudy. designed, it's cloudy and how it functions is very cloudish. And so the network engineers are looking at it saying, well, tr the traditional RFCs of how routing protocols um, need to function are in place. And unfortunately, particularly some um, cloud environments do adhere to a little bit more the traditional network environments, but there's some that are very software driven. Software so, so, so let's back up a second. When you say traditional, when you're thinking of traditional, you're thinking of filters or something like this, or what are you thinking of in terms of what you're trying to get done so that we kind of understand when you go into how to do it differently, what it is, what you're trying to do, I guess. Yeah, traditionally, I mean, exactly. The using techni techniques like route filterings, tagging, communities, um, verfing, um, traffic engineering, a lot of those features and functions that we've been given by um, many years of solid routing protocols that have the capability of being um, manipulative and uh, building an infrastructure that can be carved and controlled by the network architect, network engineer. That is lost when you're in the cloud. Uh, you're communicating via APIs, um, the, uh, the, the, the way how things are um, talking to each other from a from a routing standpoint is a point and click. Um, you need to think of things differently. So it, there is no uh, BGP uh, all the way through the cloud. It may be BGP peering to a virtual router that's in the cloud or a PE that talks to a SDN controller that's in the cloud, but then out of that network, it is typically their world. It is how they see things um, communicating from an end to end. So, so how, much, how much of this change do you think is just losing an administrative domain, right? Or how much of the challenge is losing the administrative domain and actually having to route to something you don't have control or full control over versus the fact that we're using different terminologies and technologies. I mean, it sounds like both of those things are there in that, in that response is that it's both the fact that it's not just extending my IGP to another site like there's, there's I've, I've got to interact now with somebody else. And then there's, then there's the component of the fact that once I get into that environment, the, the, the way that I interact with it is completely different than what I'm used to. Is that correct? Is that it both is, those things? It is. It, it's the latter. It's the latter the most, because let, let me give you an example. We had a cloud turnup that we had to do for a t television station and all of the uh, multicast traffic that comes from the internet to, to get the, the feeds from the TV, um, come in from the global routing table on the internet. Um, as it hits, they want, they built the infrastructure in a AWS environment. And we, you know, so traditionally you would come in thinking, okay, well, this route's going to head here and we're going to nat here. And there may be some snatting that needs to happen here. And then we'll build a, a load balancing environment to hit all these web servers on the back end, right? In, in this case, as we were building that same infrastructure in the cloud perspective, it did not work that way. Um, you have a VPC that has a CIDR block. Uh, you have your specific instances of, you know, in this case, you could be a checkpoint 
um, virtual uh, firewall and uh, uh, load balancer virtual firewalls. We wanted to have those interact to each other. Uh, in this, the customer requests that they wanted the encryption done on the F5. They wanted that to be the default gateway and they wanted the web servers to take the path of uh, web server, ALB, checkpoint, clustered, checkpoint cluster to F5 default gateway uh, out to the internet. That alone, that task was hard because we were looking at it from a traditional networking standpoint. Point the next hop to the next hop interface on the outside side, very simple. Uh, in the cloud, doesn't work that way. You have to look at things like network interfaces have ENI tags. Those ENI tags are not IP addresses. Um, default in the routing table, everything is a quad zero that goes out to the internet to an IGW and then it just works. Um, snatting traffic back on the bi-directional side, um, making sure that those, um, those client sources IPs that they were looking for are exposed and ALB natively um, does X forwarding for. So uh, it could uh, allow that to pass or it could exactly block it and drop it. All, all of that, that is the unknown of the traditional networking engineer is exposed to them now in the cloud where they have to look at these uh, um, clicks and points. And, and you may be thinking that you're picking a route filter and making that change in their, in the routing table in AWS. But if you're not on the right interface, you're doing it on the management interface. And then you're wondering why traffic's in doing TCP dump and you're looking for traffic both side to side and it becomes a nightmare. So, it is a merging of two different worlds, a merging of two different thoughts. And um, in order to be successful, there has to be um, a synergy between cloud architects and network architects working cohesively together to actually have full success. And, and so I guess the way I would translate all that you just said is that, that all the constructs for how we manage traffic and think about it inside the cloud environment are new and different. And then we have the traditional networking into our data centers, into our corporate WAN. That's, that's kind of what we've always done. And so you, somebody's got to understand both, but then there also has to be this meet in the middle where we're like, how do we take this traffic from the cloud world and send it into our network? And, and really those are, there's a lot to talk about there um, because as that, but really, you know, kind of what we're focusing on today is that, that meet me point between the cloud and our corporate infrastructure. Right. And most of the time that's BGP, but with us, uh, I know at least with AWS and Azure, both of those services have public and private routing domains. And, and for most of us in the enterprise world, we're used to private IP addresses are, are, are the inside and public IP addresses are the outside. And you can't think that way when you start connecting to the cloud. So how, how do we need to think about public and private routing domains and, and how to manage that? at that meet me point and then throughout the rest of our network. Extending that question a little bit, right? I think that, I think the assumption here is that when we route to a public address, something that's not RFC 1918, we send it out to the internet. When we do route to something that's, that's non -R, that is RFC 1918, that's inside, right? Like that's just, I think, a very standard enterprise view. There might be some demons involved. I know Russ is sitting there looking at me like, are you crazy? Because Russ works in environments where everything's public. I get it. I get it. I see the disdain. No, 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 no. <laughs> You're using IPv4 and you, you just need to, we need to deploy IPv6 into this program. Oh uh, yeah, we're not. <laughs> there might be three listeners who care about IPv6 in this program, but yeah. <laughs> no, but uh, but yeah, it. so so but I guess the the idea, right? And, and to extend the question or the you know framing the challenge is now all of a sudden we've got public space that isn't our public space most likely sitting in Amazon that we need to route to, and we might have a myriad of ways to get there. We might yeah. have a public path where we wanted to go via the internet, but we also might have an MPLS path, or we might have a direct connect path, or we might 
might have a VPN path that we wanted yeah. to take. And and how do or we- Or all of the above. Or all of the above, right? With different options of different, and whatever. And so now, and now we're talking about more of a traffic engineering problem, yes. which is not something that enterprises yeah. deal with very often. Yeah. And, and it's worse if you're on multiple cloud providers, I assume you could have multiple private spaces you're dealing with. It, it is, that, that's- Overlapping. That is where it be, so this is where the uh, enterprise network engineer learns to become a service provider engineer. This is where they have to make the transition to actually start utilizing technologies like VRFs. Russ, this is, this is this is a softball for you, man. Come on. <laughs> where is it? So, so Russ is one of Russ's favorite statements. I will say for him, there are no enterprise Technologies or engineers or problems, right? Whatever, and there are no service provider solutions or whatever. There are problems and there are solutions, and this is a very is wrong. (laughs) Wrong. (laughs) Is wrong. Whoa. Okay, hold on. Let's explore this for a second. What do you mean this is wrong? He is wrong. Let me tell you. There are network engineers that we have worked with in the enterprise space that have bonded to ERGRP as the only routing protocol that they've accepted as in the end. (laughs) (laughs) Now, now to be fair, that that statement isn't about the state of engineering in its current state. It's about the technologies. It's about the technologies that's being used. The idea is you should pick a technology not based off of whether or not it's an enterprise technology or a service provider technology. You should pick the right right technology that solves the problem that you have. And in this case, case we're getting into the fact that it's traffic engineering. We need to do traffic engineering. Guess what? Service providers have been doing traffic engineering for a long time. It's not a service provider solution. Right. It is just a solution to a problem that needs to be solved. And here we are, enterprises are now having to deal with it a little bit. Exactly. So yeah. I'm not I, I'm not trying to be uh, network, uh, you know, uh, ignorant that your t- network engineers need to understand the domain, which is routing, mm-hmm. which is a general network engineers instead of growing enterprise engineers. Exactly. So at the end of the day, <laughs> I'll say network engineers. Network engineers need to open up the tool chest and start looking at tools that they haven't been using often, right? So these tools are tools such as uh, um, VRFs concepts. So let's say we have the same SaaS service is actually advertising via your private VIF, the same address space that you're using to uh, route traffic internally. From a networking standpoint, we all know that that's going to create conflict. Uh, there's black black holing that's going to actually happen somewhere. So how do you segment that same? Because Salesforce is not going to change their IP address schema or a, 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 a some SaaS service that is you, is hosting in AWS that wants to advertise to you the ten slash 201 address that is a same address schema that you have in a VPC environment that you have your data center traffic routing through your direct connect to get to that. So how is it going to choose between the the SaaS service and your uh, instances in the VPC? Because it doesn't know that, that, you know, it it sees it via IP address. So your regular network needs to be traffic engineered in such a way where you're looking at things such as if I have a particular uh, route policy, um, and this is where we uh, encourage a lot of the uh, uh, big, large enterprises that are getting into the cloud to look at um, you know, uh, routers that have the capability of utilizing the full uh, MPLS RFC stack, where you could um, set things like if destination for AWS inbound uh, routes are needed to be allowed and the community is matching a particular um, export rule, then delete the community and then do a do a no export else. Um, if the destination is AWS inbound routes, then allow and pass it all. It's that kind of thinking that now needs to happen in the um, in the in the edge and throughout the network because now you're taking resources and you're moving those resources into your data center because no one's really moving fully to the cloud 
They're doing a hybrid model. So you're using resources in the cloud and those resources in the cloud are talking back to your data center. So now you need to build an end-to-end -end traffic engineering environment that's uh, segmented and that has overlapping IP addresses that could be natted somewhere and traffic engineered to multiple just, services. Just, just remember cloud is supposed to make things simpler. <laughs> this, this is actually this is what's running through my head right now as, as, as Miguel is sitting there talking I'm not I'm like I'm sitting here and I'm like okay the entire industry is trying to sell an idea that enterprise yeah. networking is getting simpler and simpler and simpler we're going to abstract away every technology make it yeah. super easy you here's your easy button to press this there's your enterprise network everyone operates the same and here I am and I'm like okay Miguel sitting here talking and, and, and here's someone with some experience right talking about the fact of connecting to the cloud even just a single cloud right requires complexity that the enterprise hasn't done before. So, I mean, there's just some dissonance here that I think is interesting. Yeah, yeah and it's not making, remember, it's not making life easier for security or networking. The cloud is making life easier for application developers or application producers. That's the group that the, the story, The story of networking, that's all we ever do is make the application developer's job easier. <laughs> That is, the, that, is the, that is the truth. There, there are, I mean, and yeah, so as supposedly you're, well, do the same concepts, take that into your internal network and follow the same software defined abstractions in your full network. And, 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 and it doesn't work that way, right? It no. doesn't. Yeah, I, I do think we're in the intermediary step, right? I, and I think that that's the reason why some of the complexity exists is that we've gone from, okay, here's this, here's this thing on cloud, you know, and we got to connect to it some way and it's not really overly complex. And now all of a sudden it matters. We've got to connect to it in some way where we have resiliency and traffic engineering. I think that, that you know, the, the current state of the market is the fact that people are working on making this problem simpler. And I, and I think that we'll, we'll likely see through abstraction, some simplification of this process, but we're not there yet. I think that that's the message, right? Like the idea is, you know, um, I, I'm thinking specifically in around some of the things that SD-WAN providers are doing yeah. and putting and putting virtual appliances in. Now it's great at all VPN, but the idea is, you know, if, if we route to some sort of virtual appliance inside of our cloud infrastructure that then abstracts away the connectivity and does that via policy. Just remember, that, just remember that abstraction doesn't really remove the complexity? No, absolutely not. not. It hides it. Puts a it, secret thing on top of it. Oh, Russ, we could have a whole show, <laughs> a whole show on you know the actual impacts of abstraction and complexity and what that what that is i don't necessarily know that we want to dive into that right now <laughs> but the, but the reality is is that abstraction does make management right the yeah. idea yes. the, the idea of initial configuration policy enforcement it does make those things easier abstraction is, is that's the whole point the problem is when that all falls apart now all of a sudden you've got a lot of moving pieces that you don't have visibility into but okay off that soapbox but the idea is I, I back to the original point is i think we're in this intermediary stage which is where it's difficult right we don't it hasn't been abstracted and because it hasn't been abstracted we are now in some serious networking that's required to get good resilient connectivity to the cloud and i think that that's the reason why there's some difficulty now that's just my thought no, you're absolutely right. I mean, look at look at the uh, if you take uh, let's take Amazon as an example, right? Um, they have uh, the inability to do transit routing between their VPCs, their virtual private networks that are out there, right? So a year and a half ago, Cisco jumps on it and says, "I know we'll put sort of virtual CSRs out there," and that becomes the new mode. And now you have this transitive VPC that everything hooks to, and it's like a hub and spoke to the cloud, and blah blah blah, all that stuff is just there to get around that one problem because that feature and that capability doesn't exist in the cloud yet. But once you do right. that, then you have this mismatch of some cloud capabilities for routing. You got your CSRs, you got your, it just creates more of a, more of a mess just because that capability doesn't exist. Right. I mean, so right. it's, uh, I think over time that will, that will develop. And, 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 and working with the cloud architects, there, well, this, why don't we just remove the Cisco CSR? Why don't we remove the big IP VEs? Why don't we remove the checkpoint firewalls? The cloud does everything. It does the ALBs. It does the load balancing. It does the firewalls. That's really, it's that ecosystem that it works seamlessly because the ecosystem is designed to communicate to each other. Unfortunately, there are features and functionalities. There's requirements, CISO requirements that are tied to business applications. And that policy is doesn't change because it moves to the cloud. It actually is enhanced. And 
there's there's conflict. There's conflict between um, working with the particular cloud uh, the, the environment that we were just building for the television station, where the the um, the our cloud architect was making comments. Well, if we put CloudFront in here, it just works. Um, <laughs> you know that that's not the right answer. That, that is, you know, that, really, that, that phrase right it just works should be stricken from every serious architect's language. I mean, because we yeah. know it never just works. No, it, 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 it took us it took us a whole week to bring in their security policy uh, architecture into the cloud environment where we had to you know merge FI. So, so, so what some what, what some of the challenges that you saw there? I mean, specifically like you're talking about F five and stuff. So. Mm-hmm. Maybe explain that a little bit, like what that means to what what the challenges are in doing something like that. Yeah, uh, an extensive challenge is you have ne- um, network um, engineers and network architects working, um, saying this should be easy. We know F five, we know Checkpoint, we know Cisco CSRs. But we'll just point things in a route and we'll make sure that everything works. So you're you're going down the mindset and everyone's clapping their hands saying this is going to be very easy because now you learned a little bit about cloud formation templates and you figured out <laughs> that you can pre-populate this stuff very quickly, spin it up in the cloud, and now it's done. So you're like, wow, you know what we had to do in the physical environment, we've taken all of the way because we filled out a template that automates this stuff. Now we're now we're cloud engineers, and then all of a sudden you're trying to find out it hits the F5 and then it disappears. And you're wondering, well, where's the traffic going? And then you have to turn TCP dump on the F5s and you're trying to figure out where's the traffic going. And then you learn that the interface um, design for um, F5 in the cloud is very much dependent on self-floating IP addresses, right? So, okay, well, let's create a couple of VIPs. Let's create an external VIP floating a VIP and let's create an internal VIP for a high availability cluster environment because people want high availability. Then you fell over and you find out it takes seven to 12 seconds for API call to communicate to an object identifier in AWS. And then you're finding out your, your applications are timing out because they're not that resilient or they're not cloud native is what they call it. They're not 12, uh, they're not refactored by the 12 steps and, and all this. and. And, 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 and now there's application issues, there's your traditional F5 is not working the way it's supposed to. Then you're calling for making phone calls and talking to AWS saying, why isn't this routing? Oh, it's not routing because there is a default route that's tied to the interface and you're not pointing to the right ENI interface. So then now we have to think about routing default routes on the F5s, but then you also have to think about the AWS default routes and their routing table on how it's controlled. So now you have a hodgepodge of people are getting confused and and it is not as easy as you think it is. I'm confused listening to you. <laughs> That's what I was thinking. I'm, I'm sitting here looking at this. I'm like, wow, this sounds awful. Like, there's like four rally tables you just mentioned. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it is. It, it is. So we've we've let's let's put it this way. We've the engagement was at we it got to the highest level of um, of checkpoints and F5's engineering team. And when it comes down to the cloud, you're gonna hear things like. This is not our best practice architecture, right? So Checkpoint and F5 and Cisco have architectures that they certify in the cloud that is following a blueprint that they've accepted and signed off on. Unfortunately, the customer is not going to say, well, I want to do that exactly like Cisco says or Checkpoint says or F5 says. They're going to want to do what they're doing in their regular environment. They're going to mix and match. And if they don't have that freedom and that elasticity, then why use the cloud for in, in their thing? Oh, well, just use NLBs and use ALBs. And that doesn't meet all the requirements for an organization. So um, this was a nightmare. Uh, we finally got it to work. Uh, took a week uh, and a half to, to get it to work. Customer, yes, is happy, but it really opens our eyes and learned that uh, guys, we need to start learning AWS a lot more than 
just saying that we we know about it. We need to really understand their thinking and how they built their architecture so we could be successful in rolling this out, um, not just from the cloud to the cloud, but from the cloud to the cloud, in the cloud and back. And on that note, we are going to take a break and hear from our sponsor today. Cumulus Networks is bringing web-scale networking to the enterprise cloud. With Cumulus Linux, you can build a data center network as efficient and as flexible as the world's largest data centers. The NetQ tool built into Cumulus Linux provides intelligence and visibility of your entire fabric from a single interface. Reduce troubleshooting time and improve operational support by querying your entire network with NetQ. The power of Linux has transformed our data center servers, and now it's transforming the network. If you're a network engineer who wants to brush up on your Linux skills, Cumulus is offering a free Linux 101 ebook. Expand your networking knowledge, learn the history of Linux and Linux network administration with this free 90 page ebook. You can download now at cumulusnetworks.com slash network collective Linux. So the the story that I'm hearing here, at least uh, I guess the, I should say the moral of the story that I'm hearing here is that we're trying to replicate. I mean, the story that you told us, Miguel, is that your customer was trying to replicate the environment that they had in their enterprise network in the cloud, like almost like one for one. And I, I don't think that we can build cloud networking that way. It, ju it just doesn't sound like, I mean, I see these public cloud services having built their networking to support their specific way of delivering applications. Like you said, um, it's specifically to enable uh, application delivery and, and make that process efficient where the networks that we've built haven't been built specifically around that. They've been built around some other priorities. And so I don't know that it's a one-for-one one thing. What do you guys think? Yeah, I think, you know, like we, we call it in, in our group, uh, making a steel copy of a wooden bridge, right? You're trying to replicate what you have and put it somewhere where it probably doesn't belong, right? Unless that's a, that's a great analogy, a steel copy of a wooden bridge. That's going to be really <laughs> heavy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that's what happens. A lot of these architectures are really heavy architectures. And, you know, you have to... Yeah, it's, the, 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 where that breaks down, though, is, is say you go all cloud native, as they call it, and you, you put these networks in and you automate them in, in the cloud. Um, you still have these issues where that we just talked about of, you know, communicating on-prem or communicating to other clouds. Because I don't know any Fortune 1000 client that we've been to or even Fortune 2000 that doesn't have multiple cloud providers and certainly multiple SaaS providers hooked into these, you know, cloud providers like Amazon or Azure. I mean, who doesn't have, who's, who doesn't have Office 365, who's a large organization, who also is using AWS? I mean, you have to solve these issues, but, but the, the cloud providers will tell you, hey, you know, it's easy. Just use, you know, um, uh, CloudFront for your, your edge network and, you know, just use our, uh, rules for, for WAF, you know, you don't have to use another one. And a lot of times those products don't uh, achieve uh, what you need to do or what you normally have at the enterprise, like Miguel was talking, you know, they want to bring out F5 uh, to do their load balancing because there are things that Amazon's native load balancers and Microsoft's native load balancers don't do. So, you know, the problem is that that segment of functionality that doesn't exist in the cloud yet that still exists with some of these on-prem products. And that's really where the, the, the rub's happening. I think another thing we're seeing here maybe a little bit of is that the cloud providers, I know where I work in a hyperscaler right now, um, we tend to think of things in terms of services instead of appliances. And this is something I talk about a lot when I do things, is I talk about services instead of appliances. We, we, we live in a world, the network engineering world to live today, lives today in a world of appliances. And we need to learn how to live in a world of services. And I think that's partially what you're seeing on the cloud side is, AWS doesn't think in terms of appliances. They think in terms of services. It's almost non-native for them to think in terms of a firewall. Like, a fi what's a firewall? Right, it's a collection of services, and they're thinking about the services, and they're saying, "What can I offer you, Mr. Enterprise customer, that's going to make you happy?" Oh, you want a collection of services, and I call it a firewall. Okay, I can do that, but then it becomes complex because they're doing things that are kind of not native to their environment to make it work in your environment, and you know, it's just this kind of mishmash of different things trying to work together. It just seems I think, weird. I think yeah. the more complexity is where we try to shoehorn an appliance. Yes. into a services-based architecture, which is, I think, is the exact theme that we're talking about here. Let's take this F5, which is a very, you know, routed network appliance, 
and put into some into this environment that doesn't support broadcast, doesn't support multicast, has a, a single default route as the typical thing that gets you know put on a box to get out. So I mean, like it, it's not networking as we know it today, and we're trying to just like cram it in and make it work the way that all of us has. And a lot of that is because I don't want to think any differently. Like. <laughs> The reason we're doing that is us, right? It's not the technology that's the problem. It's the way we're thinking about the technology. Uh, Yvonne always brings it back to despondency. Yeah, sorry. But we don't have it's, to be it's despondent. True. It's true. It's right. I mean, like I say we that. We can change. Joke. We can change. And there are people who are. I mean, they, there are. But it's just, it's just, it's usually a very slow process and painful along the way. But this is all new. We, we, we don't really remember that, you know, uh, AWS is probably the most advanced cloud IaaS platform out there just because of the number of years. And people understand, if you asked Amazon two, two and a half years ago what to do for a firewall, uh, there was, A, there was only one choice out there, uh, which was, um, uh, I forget the name of the provider, there was one. You didn't have... Uh, a Cisco virtual appliance. You didn't have a checkpoint virtual appliance. You didn't have, these weren't supported until like, you know, uh, three years ago, two and a half years ago. So Amazon's response was, oh, knuckles, that's a firewall. And you know, that's, that's laughable, right? That's not anything an enterprise could do. So people don't realize there's a very short time frame that these products and these capabilities are there and it's changing, changing rapidly. And I think a lot of times there's this impatience when people go to the cloud going, everybody's told me it's there, you know, I, I should be able to do all of this. Right. And then you end up, you know, with the problems that Miguel outlined. Right. Agreed. I totally agree. I mean, you got security groups, knuckles, all these little components that are hidden and they're nested in interfaces and nested on instances and there are multiple areas. Now, for a software developer, that's easy. You write a Terraform um, artifact and you provision those artifacts to communicate to either the SDK natively or a CFT, and you can automate that whole thing and you're done. Um, but when you're trying to build it according to your CISO's requirements uh, from a security posture, and a security posture and they're telling you that no endpoints from this availability zone cannot talk to endpoints in this availability zone. You start breaking the cloud um, ecosystem because everything should be able to talk to everything with some segmentation here and there, but it's, it's distributed, highly available, uh, cross-pollination, um, if you really want to segment it, look at setting up separate VPCs. But within a VPC, you want to start now building these little small building blocks there. It doesn't work that way. Not a good but idea. No, our apps have to be this way. And it's just like it starts to put strain on the cloud architect and the network engineering teams that are trying to work together because somebody's trying to force their way of doing business into another paradigm of thinking that they, there's not merging, so there's conflict. This and is really, um, this is interesting. I mean, this is a really interesting point because the networking world, especially the data center networking world, the big message of the past few years has been micro segmentation. Not just that we need filtering between hosts on different segments, that we need filtering between hosts on the same segment. And we need to be setting up contracts between these very small logical groupings of systems. Now, I think it's kind of a fallacy. I don't know very many people who are actually successfully implementing micro segmentation. I'm sure there are some, but I don't think there's a lot out there, but that's been the message. And it sounds like cloud is the exact opposite. Cloud is everything needs to talk to each other. And so like, what, go ahead. <laughs> People are moving toward that, though. You see, uh, there there is a movement I'm seeing early. Uh, it's early of you know using virtual network overlays uh, on top of cloud providers because it solves a bunch of problems, right? Originally, these things I saw out there a couple of years ago because you know financial firms wanted to have uh, a lockdown where they could have you know maybe in a in a cloud environment like you say in a in a particular subnet or a VPC they want to lock down these. X number of, of servers or instances only to talk to each other, right? And it was really from a security play. But now I'm seeing these virtual network overlays being used because they want to have an application from an application viewpoint, right? They want to have an application exist on on-prem AWS Azure, but all have it seem like it's in its own single you know, subnet. 
right? They want to have their own IP addressing between those machines. So a lot of people are using that both for multi-cloud and also for DR. If you think about it, if you put a network overlay. Hold on. Region, <laughs> you can stretch segmentation. Stretch segments are not DR. I will, I will push back on that all day long. Stretch segmentation is all about mobility. And sure, you can make an argument about moving workloads. It is not about DR because every time you stretch a segment, you, are, you have some level of shared fate. And all right. about all about DR is well, no shared fate. Any any time you virtualize, you have shared fate, and yeah. you know. So, and, and I, by the way, I still think that it's somebody's fault someplace that we're doing that we're doing stretch segments to uh, do to do mobility. Well, I, 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 I mean, that's, that's, that's a whole other show. In fact, I believe we actually have that one, at least semi on the calendar, talking about, <laughs> uh, talking about actual DR strategies and what is good and what isn't. But, right. but like, the, you know, uh, we could do, yeah, the whole idea of stretching VLANs. And we did a show on that, right? We did a show on stretching VLANs, some of the logistics around it. Uh, but, but, but you're right. I mean, like, this is, this is, this is what VMware is doing, right? VMware is doing this. VMware with NSX, especially when you can run um, VMware on bare metal in AWS. So you can now have your, you know, your VMware host in AWS that you, you stretch NSX to. And it's like, I have my own little extension. There are just so many challenges around that when it comes to Absolutely. proper proper routing, proper oscillation, proper, you know, it's just, it, it's a convenience thing. Here we are again, the network solving problems for application delivery, not thinking about it from the actual networking problems. Okay, you guys are, are poking my boxes today. You guys are- <laughs> <laughs> It's coming, I'm seeing this and it, it'll be the next challenge. I see people starting to use this i think that's the that's one yeah. of the next and, and so <clears throat> my question what what form are those overlays taking is it is it something like nsx is it vpn is it some kind of tunneling technology um nsx tends to be you know the on-prem solution there's there's several providers f5 cohesive there's a bunch of them v armors has a, a sort of solution for it different different ways to solve it R uh, riverbed is solving it fl no. f5 has an application connector oh they're overlays right. so they're just overlays yep. that are tunneling back to multi-cloud environments google cloud has a v router that can kind of do that on-prem and and, and right, it, it's it, that tunneling then is transport agnostic think, for the most part. Like it doesn't really matter. Cloud, yeah. really, like, which which no. is really where we're heading. Yeah, I mean that, that's really where we're heading. Is the idea is that your whatever you're using for your data center overlay should interact with your SD WAN, SD WAN into the cloud. But man, like that, there's a, there's a lot of pieces there that aren't there yet. But it's, <laughs> it, I mean, yeah. VMware bought Vela Cloud. They haven't announced their strategy, but what's their strategy? Come on, I mean, like mm -hmm. it's pretty obvious what they're looking to do. Right. Yeah. And, and Cisco has Viptela. So um, they, they'll be com combative in that area because that's taken off the whole V router concept yep. or NFE um, functionality of, um, you know, Quagga instance being embedded and um, scalability that. Um, no, you said a bad word. No. Yeah, you did. Quagga. No. It's rearranged routing. Quagga. It's routing. What's next? Uh, I, I'm like, I'm like, <laughs> uh, I mean, I don't know. I think the theme with this is all that, you know, it, it, as I come from more of a development background and we've been automating things forever. And finally, you know, we've gotten to the point with, you know, virtualization that we're, we're going from, we did from compute and storage now into the cloud, into networking now, right? And the bottom line is, you know, we're all having to have, programming skills to some level because things are complex and you can't just represent and implement things that don't have logic in them now, right? So, I mean, in general, whether it's a virtual overlay or all the things that Miguel talked about, right? I mean, we're having to put more complex logic um, and automate that and to make it simpler. I mean, that's just the trend. That's what cloud's forcing us to do in every aspect of, of the enterprise. This is as well as, as, as well, Scott, is speed to market um, mm -hmm. in the cloud. You're able to scale up, scale down 
move sideways elastically. And that's very attractive to businesses where businesses can say, um, at this time frame, we're going to need to scale up. And that elasticity that you have in the cloud and, 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 and being able to monitor that, that from a billing perspective, that whole xylophone concept is very agile, very, very loose for organizations to say, oh, we can track when um, large amounts of orders are coming in for you know a retail environment, and we can we don't have to bother the networking team to open up more firewall rules or traffic engineer this because it takes a long time to do that manually, and they know that Shadow IT is able to kind of move that into the cloud and you don't have to pull the networking team in to get all that done. It just gets done and gets done, done at in, in, efficiently now. And um, organizations are excited about that. So then they look internally and say, why can't we do the same thing? And then now, you know, so Cisco has ACI and all of these fabric technologies that are coming to play to try to mimic what's in the cloud because there's market share that's, being eaten up, and so I'm just I'm just thinking we need we need an RFC draft on xylophone routing. I, I was I was going to say that in my next architecture diagram, I think there will be. <laughs> that's like, I've actually never heard that metaphor before. That's actually really good though, with the idea of being able to scale up and down. That's no, good because it's horizontal scalability. It works. It works. <laughs> That's, Russ that's loves good. my stuff, right? That's good. <laughs> <laughs> I think the important thing to note here for, for the audience that's listening, though, is, uh, you know, they, you might look at this, this whole trend and go, wow, I, you know, what's my job look like? And I think that you what is not true. I can tell you from I, I, 25 years ago, I was told by a manager that case tools were coming in and he said, we're not going to need you developers anymore. People are just going to click things on the business side and applications are going to magically appear. Right. Yeah. yeah, right. that. That, that, yeah. that happened a lot. Our jobs got more complicated. Right. And I think what's happening now is the, the, the job that network engineers have, right. They're, they need to be engineers and architects. They're having more skills. And I think there's, Unless instead of less opportunity, I think there's a lot more opportunities that, that exist here. What Miguel talked about about having a system that can adapt. It, yeah, you're not hands on keyboard. You know, taking a trouble ticket and typing in. You have to think about these things and and develop them. And it's not just fire and forget. You develop a you know SD WAN environment and it just is magically good for 20 years. That takes care and feeding, and the enhancements continue to go on. There's a lot of work. In, in maintaining an environment like that. Um, so I think we're, we're headed more. for a reckoning here, though, in this, because I 100 percent agree with you in in the reality that networks are not getting simpler. Cloud is not simplifying things for for network engineers, but enterprises are operating as if they are mm -hmm. right. And so and so the idea that, you know, an engineer needs to be an architect, uh, you know, I don't walk into a lot of enterprises that believe that that skill set is important for them to be successful. Or just and, be an engineer. Or just, or just an engineer. Just, yeah, just, just an straight engineer. up being an engineer. Just having engineering and, skills. And so, you know, if, if I'd give my little tidbit of advice here, independent consulting, working for possibly a reseller, all good places to be doing what you guys are doing is good because I, it's going to be a long time, I think, until enterprises get the picture that, that, yeah. That engineering matters and that, yeah. that the network and their connectivity and the way they do things can actually be a competitive advantage. I know Russ has spoken to this, you know, many times. Yeah. Uh, they, they're missing this picture, generally speaking. There are obviously exceptions to every rule. Um, but as someone who works in a reseller, is in a lot of different enterprises, I can tell you the prevailing thing, at least the, uh, amongst our customers, is that they are scaling back on engineering. They're not bringing in more, they're doing less. They are hiring administrators and operators and they're outsourcing engineering. And so there's, there's, this, there's this dichotomy of, oh wait, this is more complex. We have a hybrid environment where everything used to be in one room, now it's distributed everywhere. Um, that makes it all the more difficult to run. The fact that now that we have two different ways of building things, we have the internal traditional way of building routing and now we have the cloud yes. way of building routing. Yes. Like, there's just so many domains that are being added and adding all this complexity, but yet the, the, the train of thought from a management perspective is that it's going the opposite way. 
And right. so I, 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 it's, I just, I'm just noticing the dichotomy. I don't have an answer about what the right thing is other than, other than just be, be a consultant. So, so, <laughs> so what, so what we've encouraged internally to our team, because all our CCIE, CCDEs, our CCNA um, network engineers, we've all trained them to be what we consider they're calling it DevOps, but they're learning programming, right? Yeah. Uh, it, it is a mandate now for them to understand Ansible, Python, Terrible, uh, ter- uh, Terraform, and terrible, they, terrible, terrible. It's terrible for them. Um, but it, 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 it's a mandate for them. Like they, they have to work with our SDN software developers, and and there is. Um, the, the vision of the organization is that they become one team. So we're not going to be segmenting the networking team away from the software team. It'll end up becoming one team. And so they're working together a lot. They're all trying to find their, their, um, their credibility in job distinction. So developers are saying, well, Miguel, we could program this whole thing, but there's still that lack of knowledge. They don't understand networking. So I'm saying you need the subject matter experts, which are these network engineers that we have on our team, and they have to work with you because they understand networking. And you don't pro- you may be able to program something quick, but there is protocols, there's rules, there's standards, there's RFCs that need to be adhered to that have protected us in the networking space to function. Just because you can spin up a virtual router that may have a partition of a networking function doesn't mean that it's scalable and solid and sound. I'm not going to name the name of the manufacturer, but they took an open source um, BGP daemon and tried to softwareize it to communicate to the control plane. And as routes and rules started to increase and grow, there was um, failure in the firewall policy and the uh, the BGP um, daemon and they would crush the network and cause the network to get black hole. And just because you can build software to do that fairly quickly doesn't mean that you're, you, you should do it. Bas- that's basically what I'm trying to say. So there is a codependency, but there is a need for network engineers and architects to start to cross over. It's coming. Um, we've been asked uh, as part of the consortium that we're part of to automate the network using artificial intelligence and machine learning algorithms. Yeah, that's futuristic, but it's coming. It's coming where algorithms are getting smarter and they're learning how to build BGP on their own through neural networks. And it's coming down the line. So engineers need to start making um, network engineers specifically, security engineers need to start making the crossover now into the software domain because it is going to be very prolific in their future. I agree. With, I agree with that. I, you know, like I, I think the expectation is to not necessarily like a lot of times people will pitch us as like you need to become a, a, a software developer, and I don't, I don't necessarily believe that's true. I, I agree with the fact that you need to learn the constructs of code. You need yeah. to understand and be able to script. You need to be able to look at things programmatically. I mean, we just talked. I mean, you mentioned this, and and it was a thought that came through is that you know all of a sudden now a lot of our interfaces are coming. We're getting rid of CLIs and going into GUIs, and GUIs are less efficient. But the reason why they're GUIs is because that's kind of like the second way to interact with them. The primary way to interact with them is via API. And so, you know, like if you want to be efficient, you've got to be able to script against that. Do you have to be able to write like, you know, elegant and super efficient code? Probably not. Correct. Right. Like no. when it needs to get to that level, you hand it off to a programmer. You give them the exactly. specs and say, I need this to be over. really efficient. Exactly. Um, and here's here's what I'm doing. Here's my rough draft. Right. Here's my yeah. here's my code, which is a hack, but right. gets the job done. Exactly. Can you do this efficiently and be able exactly. to speak there? You know, if you got to be able to know what a loop is and 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 what that yeah. does and how variables are done and how we go through lists and those types of things. Those are those are all skills you need to have as a mm-hmm. as a networker moving forward. Where you didn't before, well, at least. You didn't absolutely have to. My argument has been it's always been beneficial to know those things. This isn't a new thing. Yeah. It's just becoming more of a requirement. 
Yeah, the danger is, is that we move from a world where we have a bunch of CLI jockeys to a world where people know enough about Python to hack something out, and they still don't understand the underlying principles of what they're actually doing in either case. <laughs> Fundamental networking skills are still important for networkers. That, that will never change. We were part of a, um, a case study with F5, and um, they're the, the super NetOps class that they have that's free and, and open there, um, they try to take developers and teach them networking concepts. And um, the, 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 the research and the study was it was harder to do that than to train network engineers to learn fundamental software um, descriptive and predictive languages that they could pick up. And, and, and there's, they, they, they learned that there was a synergy that you still need network engineers and architects to work with the software developers because if mm -hmm. it was up to a software developer, they'd do all sorts of weird things that just doesn't adhere to network practices and principles, as I was saying. We do need to start thinking software. You're right. I don't think develop, uh, network engineers need to be software developers. But there is another phase. The other phase is the future phase, which machines and artificial intelligence is looking through uh, tons of configuration datas and learning how to build BGP configurations on their own. That's another phase that's coming down this pipeline that people are laughing at, but we're actually working on projects in the European Union right now to solve that with Hadoop and, 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 um, and real uh, runtime environments like P4 that can um, embed artificial intelligence packets in the headers to look at, oh, that is a packet loss. Packet loss is bad, so reroute traffic on a, a neural net that does that. Those things are coming. And so if you wanna be part of that future, you better start learning a little bit more deeper into the software well, okay. environment. We'll, we'll leave it with the despondent that you need to actually need to, need to learn more than you already need to learn. Machine learning, neural networks. I mean, if you guys, if you don't have your PhD in machine learning. Yeah. I, think, I, think, I think maybe we'll quit there. <laughs> Leaving you in the trough of dis, dis, despondency, as Ivan would say. Disillusionment, yeah. Disillusionment. Yeah. All right, Miguel. <laughs> Thanks, Miguel. Yeah, <laughs> we'll, we'll wrap this one up. And um, so, Miguel, Miguel, where can we find you to get more despondency if we want to? <laughs> to get lost in the cloud, you can find us at www.villa-tech.com. Okay, right. cool. And Scott, where are you at? Um, I'm at asbritusconsulting.com. Uh, uh, um, you can get a hold of me at scott.wheeler at uh, consulting.com. I'm also on Twitter as well. Uh, what's your Twitter handle? Uh, okay. At dscottwheeler. Okay, cool. And Yvonne? Yvonne was muted a second ago. Maybe she'll talk without unmuting. I'm not muted now, but there may be screaming in the background. I promise everybody's okay. <laughs> um, they're just small people with strong opinions it's all right now um you can find me. the entire networking world <laughs> you can find me on the blog at esharp.net or on twitter at sharp network and jordan sure uh my website's jordanmartin.net. You can find me on Twitter, at BC Jordo, LinkedIn, all the other social places. Of course, uh, right here at the Network Collective. Cool. And I'm Russ White. You can find me at rule11.tech, at Routing Geek on Twitter. Even though I never log in, don't DM me on Twitter. I don't answer DMs it, on Twitter. It's true. He'll ignore you. He ignores me. He ignores me everywhere, but I mean, on Twitter especially, he ignores me. But you can find me on You can DM me there, or you can always find me at the Network Collective or at my blog. Thanks, guys. And uh, we'll see you next time on the Network Collective.